It's nice to be back again, Bally Halbert. After singing that lovely course with all them names of all them powerful prophets that are mentioned in the Old Testament, you're going to be mightily disappointed with just pure Val. <laughs> so you are. All right. But nevertheless, <laughs> it's really nice to be back again, Bally Halbert again, and to spend some time with, some time with you and to think a little bit about the Word of God and to preach the glorious message of the gospel. That's what we're here for, to hear the gospel. At least I hope that's what you're here for. All right? So I want to share that with you this evening. There we are. Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you ever heard anybody preach the gospel in that verse before? Have you? All right? Now, I'm not going to speak about that verse directly, but you'll get the idea. Um, so you will. So... Taste and see that the Lord is good. So, I, I, I just I wanted to ask uh, some of you ladies a wee question tonight. Now, you don't have to answer out loud. Just answer it in yourselves. You know, here we are about six weeks after Christmas, you know. You know, at Christmas, before Christmas, you buy all them lovely goodies in. And you fill them cupboards full in the kitchen. And, and they're packed jam full. And then everybody makes their best efforts to try and eat them all. All right, but we don't seem to just quite manage to do it all. And, and then there's a few wee bits and pieces that are left in the back of the cupboard for a week or two. Have you been in the cupboard yet to get them out and to clear those cupboards before the, uh, the sell-by date goes? Well, you see, if you go in there, just like we did a wee while ago, if you go in there, you know, you never know what you might find. And I think, here's some of the things that I think you're going to find. Well, you'll always find a packet of these, wouldn't you? You'll always find a packet of shortbread, Scottish shortbread. So who doesn't love shortbread at Christmas? You'll always find a packet of them. And if you look in the cupboards even further, if you're looking, you might find a, a full packet of biscuits not yet opened. And you think to yourself, that's great. We'll be able to use them, especially if visitors come. All right, so you're okay tonight? Got the biscuits? Okay. We're not going to starve. And then, of course, if you look a wee bit further, you're always looking out for the special thing, aren't you? You're always looking out for the special. You know, biscuits are all right and so on. But, you know, you're always thinking what you really want to find is a box of sweets, isn't it? A box of sweets. And, of course, the first thing you do when you get the box of sweets is you've got to go to see if there's any in it. All right. So I've, I've, looked, I've got a few things with me in my cupboard, and I want to share a few little gospel thoughts with you uh, about... Next, I have to I have to shout over here. Next slide, please. All right, because there's no clicker tonight. I feel as though I'm in a in a media presentation in front of some press, having to shout next slide. Don't don't mean next slide now. Just I'm, I'm saying, that's where you get confused. All right. So I just want to share some Bible lessons uh, from our favourite chocolates. All right, because you know you'll always find more than one tin of chocolates in the cupboard. All right. So we're going to have a wee look at that. So the first one I have here in front of me. Next slide is Quality Street. Quality Street. I don't know about you, my Bible class calls these old people's sweets. <laughs> All right? Old people's sweets. All right? That's what they call them. All right? I brought a ton of these into my Bible class after Christmas and they looked at them and they're old people's sweets. All right? I don't know whether you agree or not. I like them. All right? <laughs> Here, and I'll tell you something else. Not only do I like them, my dentist likes them too. <laughs> Because in Quality Street, there's lots of toffees, isn't there? And it does terrible things for your films. But the whole thing of Quality Street, 
It was brought out, first of all, in 1936. Don't know whether you know that or not. 1936, in between the two, the First World War and the Second World War. And, uh, and Nestle come up with this idea of Quality Street. And this is they branded their sweets, Quality Street. And here's the tagline that they used. Nothing but the best. That was their tagline. Nothing but the best. Quality Street. Of course, they only like quality. Nothing but the best. You know, I was thinking about that, and this just makes me think, you know, don't we all want the best, don't we? Of course we do. I'm a parent. I've got two daughters, and I've got a son. I've got five grandchildren now, and I want nothing but the best for them. And when our children were growing up, were growing up, we strove and strove and strove, and Jenny and me, we scrimped and saved, and we worked very hard to, to see that they got the best of everything best education and then we know and, and then when they get the best you're hoping they're going to get a good job and then their lovely little family of their own you want nothing but the best for them of course they do and of course I better put this down in case I get tempted and not only you know but the, there's other people and they want the best not right but you know <laughs> I don't know about you I know a couple of people you know and they have to have the best car Every, every, every other year they'll change their car because they want the next model or the newer model because they have to have the best. And then some people, they like to live in the best house. And of course, I'm sure many of you, you think you live in the best street, don't you? Wherever you live. We all want the best. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. Nothing wrong with wanting the best. You know, sad to say, there are some people and they're not very well and they want the best medical, medical that they can get. Because they've got an illness and they want cured from it. And they want nothing but the best. Rightly so. Nothing but the best. Nothing wrong with that. We all want the best. We're all seeking the best. We're all looking for the best, as best we can get it. And I was thinking about that. But when I come to my Bible, and we're going to share a few verses with you as we go along. All right, when I come to my Bible, next slide please. I want you to think about this. If we can understand the concept of wanting the best for ourselves, then when it comes to God, then my Bible instructs you and instructs me that God's intentions towards you and towards me is nothing but the best. Nothing but the best. You say, oh, well, how do you see that? Well, you see, the little verse in, 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 in Jeremiah 29, 11, some of you will know it. Some of the believers think this, that this might be one of their favorite verses, but maybe you haven't seen it before. And it's, here's what it says. God says through the prophet Jeremiah, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, the context of this is, this was written in Jeremiah's time. That's towards the latter end of the history of the children of Israel as recorded in the Old Testament. Remember the children of Israel come out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt and, and he delivered them through Moses. And then they went out into the wilderness. Instead of going straight through the wilderness to the promised land that God promised them, no, they sinned against God and they spent 40 years in the wilderness. And all the people, all the adults that come out of the land of Egypt, not one of them except for two, all of them perished in the wilderness because of their sin. 
And then they came into the land and they conquered the nations and then they established their own nation. And then, of course, they looked around about and then they said, we don't want God to rule. We don't want a priest and we don't want a leader. And then God gave them the judges. And then after the judges, there came the prophets, some prophets. And then after the prophets then, there came the kings. And then, so they started off well. And then they went, many of the kings went back. And the you could, just, all you, could, you could just say the children of Israel, they just had a checkered history when it came to their relationships with God. Sometimes they were up. Many times they were down. Sometimes they were close to God. Many times they were far away. Sometimes God's favor led on them and sometimes God had to punish them because of their, their waywardness and their disobedience. But yet, even with all of that, God's intention towards them was still nothing but the best. You find that in Jeremiah. God's declaration of his intentions to the children of Israel. Now, what about you and me? Next slide, please. What about you and me? Well, you know, nothing has changed with respect to God. God's intention towards you and towards me is exactly the same. His intentions towards us is nothing but the best. You see, when I open my Bible and I start to read and I start to read it seriously and I start to go through it, I discover that God has provided the best of circumstances. Not only has he provided the best of circumstances, he provides in his word the best of promises. The Bible's full of them. Promises. Not only promises that have been made, but also promises that have been kept. You see, you have to remember... I've got good news for you, and part of the good news that I have for you is this, that God is not just a promise maker. God's a promise keeper. Now, that's very important. He's a promise keeper. So when God promises something, he keeps his promises. And when you go through the scriptures, you get the record of that. If you start and you search for God's promises, you'll see a promise made and a promise kept. A promise made and a promise kept. A promise made and a promise kept. And so it goes on and on and on. Now, there are some promises that haven't, been, haven't happened yet. But, you know, when I look at the record that God has with respect to his promises and see all the promises that he made and all the promises that he's kept, then I can look at the promises that he's yet to keep and I can be confident that he'll keep those promises too. Confident. So the best of promises. And also the Bible tells me that God, he has shown his best intention towards me because he's provided the best rescue plan. We call it salvation. Salvation. Mankind has turned his back on God. We find that in, in, from the very beginning in the book of Genesis. Adam, God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the best of circumstances. And he made them the best of promises. And he said, you can take of anything you like. And, and this whole garden is yours. I just want you to do one thing for me. Not to eat of that tree. That's the only thing I want you. Not to eat of that tree. And what happened? Adam and Eve didn't. They disobeyed God. And what does Romans tells us? Romans tells us, Wherefore as by the sin of one man, sin entered into the world. And because of that one man's sin, death entered into the world. And death is passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Oh, dear friend, we're all under the power of sin. And we're all under the sentence of death. That's what the Bible says. And we need to be rescued from that. And we can't rescue ourselves. And how, how else can we be rescued? Well, God's provided the rescue plan. He's provided it. 
salvation. And he's provided not only the rescue plan, he's provided the best man to accomplish that plan. And who's that? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. God sent the Son into the world to be the saviour of the world. And he can be your saviour too tonight if you don't know him yet to this point in time. The best man. He also provides for those that have trusted and believed in him and, and have become a child of God. He provides the best of life. The best life. You see, there's many people out there, I don't know, I don't do social media, but you know, there's many people do social media and they watch other people and they think those other people are living the best life ever. Sad to say is many of them in the other side of the camera are not living the best life ever. They're living very sad lives. They're only pretending. But when you become a child of God, you start to live the best life ever. Why? Because... God wants to bless you. And God's prepared to bless you when you're one of his children. Not only that, he provides the best of eternity. The best of eternity. How does he do that? Well, how he does that is this, that when you get God's salvation, you get two gifts. When you trust and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives you two gifts. The first gift is the gift of salvation. And the second gift you get is the gift of eternal life. And the gift of eternal life secures your eternity. Forever. Secures your eternity in the glory and in heaven and home with the Lord. God's intentions, nothing. These are only a few examples of God's intentions are nothing but the best. Next slide, please. So, what about us sinners? You know, some people say, well, you know, I know that the Bible tells me that God says I'm a sinner. And if I'm a sinner, the Bible tells me that God wants to punish me. God wants to send me out into his eternity. He wants to send me to hell. That's true, it's in the Bible. It is true. No sin will go unpunished. No doubt about that. And God will judge all. He'll judge, the, he'll judge the, the mighty and he'll judge the weak. He'll judge the rich and he'll judge the poor. He'll judge the famous and he'll judge those who are not famous at all. He'll judge all. But, you know, God's, that's not his desire. That's not his desire. What's God's desire? God's intent, this is the verse I want to share with you, the first verse, 2 Peter 3 and 9. Because this reminds me of God's intentions towards sinners. That includes us all. Towards sinners, what is it? It's nothing but the best. What does it say, 2 Peter 3 and 9? The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. What's his promise? His promise is that he will judge the world. He will judge humanity for their actions and for their attitude towards God and for their behavior and for their sin. God says that he will come in as a righteous judge and judge humanity. And he'll right all the wrongs that men and women have done. But God's not slow in keeping his promise. That's the promise. As some people understand slowness. You see, some people say, God, God's never going to... If he had, if he wanted to do that, he would have done it already. Look at the state of the world we're in. He should have already come in and done it. But God's not slow, as some understand slowness, but he is patient with you, with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What is he doing? He's holding back. That's what he's doing. He's holding back. And don't count God's holding back as a weakness. It's not a weakness, it's a strength. 
It's the strength of his intent towards you and to me, showing his patience. Not wanting us to perish, but that we would come to him in repentance. God's intention is nothing but the best. Okay, next one. When I go into my little, when I, we go into my cupboards, here's the next. I find another box of sweets. Yep, there's some. You're in luck tonight, you know, you're going to get a sweet in the way out, all right? There's a box of roses. Roses, 1938, of course, these are Cadbury's. And, of course, Cadbury's seen what Nestle had done and they wanted to go into competition. So two years later, they brought out roses. And how did they sell roses? They sold it with the line, showing you care. Showing you care. And I don't know about you. Actually, I quite look forward to them. Uh, most Christmases, Cadbury's put out a wee uh, roses, put out a little advertisement television. And they tell a little story about showing that you care. Just next slide, please, sir. I, there, there's a, that's a screenshot from one of them uh, from a wee while ago. And, uh, you know, the wee boy's out in the cafe with his daddy and some people are doing nice, kind things to him. And, and he's watching these people, what they're doing. And he's impressed with all of this. And, and, you know, the whole idea is just letting people know about the kindness and generosity. Kindness and generosity. This is how the cell rule, the idea of kindness and generosity. You know, um, um, you know what I mean? You know, when you think about it, couldn't we all do with a little bit more kindness and generosity? Couldn't we? There's not enough of it in the world today. It's not what the, it's not what the, it's not what we're told. It's not what the Apostle Paul tells us about our brothers and sisters. What are we to do? Of course, it's, Paul says we're to love them, but what does that mean? It means we're to show each other kindness and generosity, doesn't it? We all appreciate a little bit of kindness and generosity. You know, they say, they say a smile goes a long way, and so it does, doesn't it? You know, you're going about there, and, and just out of the blue, somebody gives you a nice wee smile or says a nice kind word, and, and whether, you, whether you want it to or not, it just gives you a wee, wee lift. Sometimes it just changes your attitude about today, doesn't it? That somebody's done a little kindness towards you. And of course we know that kind actions, they go even further than a kind word, don't they? Of course they do. You know, I was thinking about that, kindness. You know, some people think that God is an angry God. You know, because God seeks people's destruction. He's going to judge them. He's going to send them out into his lost eternity. He's going to put them into hell. And some people think God's an angry God. And then there's other people who think that God really, God's totally indifferent. He's indifferent to our situation. He's indifferent to my situation, personally. He's indifferent to what's going on in the world and, and really doesn't really care. And that's what people think. And then there's people who would say to me, and they would say to me sometimes, well, you know, well, you know, I think God's an angry God or God's indifferent. How, how do I know that God loves me? How do I know that God is prepared to show me kindness and his generosity? How do I know? Next slide. Well, the reason why I can say in the positive to them is, oh, yes, God is generous and God is kind and he's prepared to show his kindness and generosity to you. It's because he's already done so. You don't have to wait on it. It's already happened. You know, 
only about three or four days ago or four or five days ago. There was lots of people running about in Northern Ireland and other places as well, you know. And they were trying to gather up little tokens of kindness and generosity that they might share and give to their partner. All right, Valentine's Day. All right, and some were flowers, maybe a wee box of chocolates, or maybe somebody took someone out to a nice restaurant, whatever it may be, or got a nice meal cooked, you know. Now you're asking me, Val, what did you get Jennifer on her Valentine's Day, aren't you? But she's got Valentine every day. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Acts of kindness, tokens of kindness, tokens of generosity. And you say, how do I know God loves me? Dear friend, God, God, God has already demonstrated his kindness and generosity towards you and towards me. And towards everyone. John 3 16, a very well known verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only well beloved Son. For God so loved the world. You know what that means? It means that God so highly valued and prized humanity. He put a price on people that was so high. For him to meet that price, he had to give everything that he had. And that was his son, the Lord Jesus. For God so loved the world, so highly valued and prized the world, that he was even prepared to give his only beloved son. That's the force of John 3.16. And that includes you, and you, and you, and me. He's already demonstrated his love. Next word, next slide, please. This is the verses I want to share with you on this, this uh, about, about the roses. Romans 5, 7 and 8. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that way we were sinners. Christ died for us. Just two weeks ago, Two weeks ago, they commemorated the 70th anniversary of the sinking of the Princess Victoria. Now, some of you are old enough maybe to know, or you've heard the stories from parents about how some of the bodies of the poor people that were killed in that disaster were swept up onto the shoreline right down the county down coast. And when I read these verses here, I always remember that story. And you know, I also remember the lifeboat men who left Donegal D life, lifeboat station and the men who left Port Patrick lifeboat station and they launched themselves out into the strongest storm that had been seen for nearly a century to rescue poor people who had come off the Princess Victoria when it sank. These verses also remind me of, of that warship that came down from, from the Clyde and off Glasgow and sailed all the way down the North Channel to the very place where the Princess Victoria went down and all the people were in the water and in the lifeboats and hanging on to life rafts. And at that point in time when that warship arrived, nobody had yet been rescued. Oh, boats were there. There were some ships came from Belfast Lock and they came to try and get rescued. But because of the storm and because of the situation, even because of the shape of their boats, they could not actually get anybody out of the water. And when the warship arrived, 
they decided what they would have to do is they would, they would actually have to physically go into the water. And two men stepped forward, Stanley McArdle and Wolfie Warren. And they tied a rope around their waists. And, and as the ship, because it was a big storm, 150 mile an hour winds. 50 foot waves that day. And as that warship went like this, and as, and, and as the warship of the side of the ship went down and touched the water, Stanley McArdle and Wolfie Warren just stepped off into the sea. They didn't even have to jump off the ship. And then the ship went back up and the two of them swam out and they managed to rescue and what the idea was they were to swim out and they were to grab somebody and hang on to them and then the people on the ship would pull the rope and they would pull the two people back in again. And Wolfie and Stanley went out and they rescued a number of people by that means and they rescued some people alive out of that situation. On one of the occasions, Stanley McArdle, he jumped in again. And as he jumped in, the boat went down. And then just as he jumped in, but he mistimed it. And as he jumped in and he started to swim, the boat started to come back up again. And as the boat came up again, of course, the big suck of the water just came right down the side of the boat, right under the, under the bottom of the boat. And Stanley, he got pulled down and got sucked down under the boat. And Wolfie Warren seen it. And Wolfie Warren jumped in. He dived in. And he swam down and he grabbed Stanley McArdle. And then they pulled them both up out of the water. I think about that story when I look at these verses. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die. Yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. Men like Stanley McArdle and Wolfie Warren. They would dare to die to rescue someone else. You say, Father, why do you like that story so much? You know why I like that story so much? Wolfie Warren was my Bible class teacher in Crossland. You see? I've stood at the, I've stood at the memorial in Lorne for the Princess Victoria sinking. And I was there one year, and, and somebody stood beside me, and, and at the end of it, he said to me, he says, is one of your relatives on, on that memorial? And I says, no. And he says, oh, right. He says, well, why are you here? I says, I'm here not because of somebody's name on that memorial. I'm here because of someone who I know made sure that somebody's name was not on that memorial. <laughs> and they looked at me a bit strange, and I says, I says, one of the men who rescued people, I says, he was my Bible class teacher when I was a young Christian, Wolfie Warren. Wolfie got the George Medal for that. So did Stanley McArdle. Wolfie Warren uh, gave up the Navy and became my Bible class teacher and an itinerant preacher, so to speak, and a, a gospeler. And Stanley McArdle went on to be a rear admiral in the Navy. All right. When you think stories like that, you know, it makes, it makes that, those words in verse 7 come alive, doesn't it? But let's, let's look at the import of those two verses together. Here's what I want you to grasp. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. Now we're raising it up another level here, aren't we? If the, if the, if the ideal of Stanley McArdle and Wolfie Warren and the lifeboat men from Port Patrick and Donica Day are not high enough as an example of what sacrifice can mean. Verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet Sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, we sang it in one of our choruses, didn't we? 
He came down from the glory. He went to the cross. Oh, he died on the cross for sins. But you know, let's remind ourselves, he didn't die on the cross for his own sins. He died on the cross for your sins and for mine. He tasted, Hebrews tells us, he tasted death for every man and every woman and every child. He tasted death. What does that mean? It means death had no claim on him. He was not, he was born of a woman, but he wasn't born of a man. He was not of the seed of Adam. He was the seed of God. He was born by the Holy Spirit. Death had no claim on him because there was no sin in him. But yet he gave himself to death. Why? That he would taste death for you and for me. That he might enter into death and defeat death. And come out of death victorious. That all of us might live and be victorious in the day to come. There's a price to be paid for our redemption. God says, says in the Old Testament, a man who sinned, a man who sinned, who sinned the soul that sinned deserves to die. The scripture says in the Old Testament, and how was the person who was going to die because of her sin get out of that situation or get out of those set of circumstances? Well, what had to happen was they had to take a little animal and take the little animal to the tabernacle and give the little animal to the priest. And the priest would take that little animal and the priest would kill that little animal and the priest would lay the blood of that little animal before the Lord. And the Lord would accept the blood of that little animal instead of the blood of the individual. Why? Because that little animal died in the place of the person. Took his place. Isn't that why we read in Isaiah 53? He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He took it all. He bore it all. That we may go free. Oh dear friend. What other example can I give you? Can I give you. Of God's kindness. And generosity. He gave his son. To die for you. Now the last one I want to share with you. Is this. Lots of people say this is their favourite. Celebrations. Kids like these ones. Celebrations. Okay. What can we say about celebrations? Next slide, please. Okay, these are quite modern, aren't they? 1997. And of course, when they came out, the, the message that came along with celebrations was, there's always something to celebrate. Always something to celebrate. And you know, it is quite true, isn't it? You know, some, next slide. I just hear some reasons why I think we celebrate. You know, births and birthdays. You know, engagements and weddings. Graduations and exam success and, and new jobs, maybe much more things. And you can think of a whole lot of things as well that would give you a reason to celebrate. Have a celebration. All right. You know, it's good to celebrate. It's good to celebrate the milestones of life, isn't it? It really is. Five times I've celebrated the, the birth of a grandchild, safely brought into the world. It's absolutely fantastic. You know, and 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 twenty fifth of April we'll be celebrating again the birthday of, of our oldest grandchild, who funny enough has the same birth date as me, the twenty fifth of April. You know, it's not it's not a good thing, by the way, for your grandchild to the same birthday as you. 
you don't get to choose the cake anymore. Okay, this past couple of years, I've had to be content with calling the caterpillar and stuff like that, all right? I don't get to choose the cake. But it's, mar- it's wonderful to celebrate the birth of... Oh, there's many things in life that it's wonderful to celebrate. And so we should. So we should. Life is good. Uh, as, uh, there's things in life that are good and they're worth celebrating. But you know, in the Bible, in the Bible we're told about one big important reason that's worth celebrating. Next slide, please. And what's that? It is the receiving. The offering and the receiving of God's indescribable gift. That's what it is. Yes, you say, what's that for? Well, I've already mentioned it. Romans 6, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It's not up on the screen, but I'll read it to you. It is by grace that you are saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so no one can boast. So you're saved. So how are you saved? Well, you see, the offer of salvation comes by grace. You say, what's grace? Well, when we speak about grace with respect to God, it's God offering you something that you do not deserve. Put very simple. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve God's offer of salvation. None of us do. But yet he offers. We didn't deserve the Lord Jesus to go and die on the cross for us and to pay the penalty for our sins, but he done it. God sent the Son into the world, even though the world had turned their back on him. Remember, God has demonstrated his love toward us in that way we were still his friends? No. Why we were still allied with him? No. Why we were still in his presence? No. Why we were sinners? And what are sinners? Sinners are people who are in opposition to God and opposite to God and estranged from God, deserving nothing from God, but yet deserving nothing from God. God has demonstrated his grace and his grace says that he offers us something and we don't deserve it. What's that offer? That offer is salvation through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary. Oh, how do you get it? Well, you get it through faith. Faith. You say, what's that? Well, you see, faith is the most... Faith is something that every single person can do. If you want to call it a doing thing. It's It's an act that everybody can do. You see, if you had to work for salvation, sad to say there were some people who couldn't work for it. There were some people who have got a heart complaint that can't do anything. Some people have maybe got no legs. They can't work for it. Some people land paralyzed in hospital beds. They can't work for it. But you don't have to work for it. And then perhaps maybe you had to pay for it. Well, you see, if you had to pay for it, then some can pay and most can't. Why? Because if you were to try and pay for salvation... It's a price that is beyond the reach of everybody. You just can't pay for it. So that's good. We don't need to pay for it. So we can't work for it and we can't pay for it. So how do we get it? We get it simply by the exercise of faith or trust or reliance. Three words mean the same thing. Trusting. Now you don't need me to stand here or anybody else to stand here and tell you what the meaning of trust means. 
Because since you were no high uh, as a little child until the age you are now, whatever age that might be, you have exercised trust nearly on a daily basis. And he used and he used the right work in there. I don't know about you, but for uh, you know, like for twenty-seven days of the month, you're trusting your employer to pay you at the end of the month, aren't you, for your your month wages? You work in advance to get them at the end of the month, so you trust them to stand by their agreement with you that if you do a month's work, you get a month's wage. Trust in its simplest form. You all know what trust means. For by grace are you saved through. Faith, trust. Trust in who? Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Trust in God in heaven that all the promises that he says that he will fulfill, that he will fulfill them. And that he is who he says he is. The eternal God. And the one who died on the cross is his eternal son. That's what John says. I write this book, the book of John's gospel. And John's gospel was, he says, I write this book that you might know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that knowing that, that you may believe that he is. And that in believing that he is, you may have eternal life. Purpose of John's gospel. It's faith gets salvation. And if you exercise your faith, if you exercise faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, what does God say? God says, I'll give you the gift of salvation. It comes from him to you. He'll give you the gift of salvation. You don't deserve it, but you'll get it. You haven't earned it, but you'll get it. You haven't bought it, but you'll get it. You haven't paid for it, but you'll get it. Why? Because it's a gift. It's free. It's free to you, not free to God. God gave a son to obtain it, but it's free to you. And what does Romans 6 tells us? Romans 6 tells us that along with this gift of, the, of salvation, there comes another special gift. It's not a bonus, you know. No, no. What is it? It's the gift of eternal life. Because the moment you get God's salvation, you get the gift of eternal life. You see, God's, God's offer of salvation is not just for time. It's for all eternity. God's eternity. And he offers the gift of salvation and the gift of eternal life. Oh, what a thing to celebrate. What a thing to celebrate. For by grace, uh, the gift of God is eternal life. Romans 6. And 23. Just over the next slide, please. So you see, where do we find some of that in the Bible, Val? Well, I just want to give you three examples. All right, Luke 19. Uh, Luke 19, man called Zacchaeus. We all sing the course. Zacchaeus was a very little man. A very little man was he. He climbed up to the second ward tree to see what he could see. And what did he see? He saw the Lord Jesus coming, walking along the road. And he said, I want to see the Lord Jesus. I want to see who this person is. And the Lord came and looked up on the, and looked up the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to go and abide in your house. I want to have supper with you. And Zacchaeus came down and he brought the Lord Jesus to his house. What does it say? And so he made haste and came down and received Jesus joyfully. It was a celebration in Zacchaeus' house that night. Received him joyfully. Yes. If you received the Lord Jesus tonight, you would know what real joy is. You would discover it. You see, up to now, you've known what happiness is. But very few of us find out what real joy is until we meet the Savior. And when we meet the Savior and we receive him into our lives, then we'll start to know what real joy means. 
Acts chapter 8, 39, there's a man from Ethiopia, and he was in Jerusalem, I think he's a proselyte, and, and, and when he was there, he managed to procure a, a scroll of the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. The book of Isaiah. And, and he was going back to Ethiopia along with his entourage of people that he had because he was a high official of, of, the, of, the, of the king or the queen there. And he went on his way and he was reading through this book and God sent Philip uh, to him and Philip uh, came alongside his chariot and Philip says, seen him reading the scroll and he said, do you know what you're reading? And he says, I don't understand what I'm reading. I haven't a clue. I'd, unless somebody explains it to me, I don't know what I'm reading. And Philip gets up into the chariot, and Philip says, I'll explain it to you. And Philip declares the good news of the gospel. And he declares the good news of the gospel from Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, of course, which is the gospel of the Old Testament, isn't it? Yes, of course it is, for all you scholars. All right. And he declares on them the gospel of the good news of the gospel, and the man receives it, and he believes it, and he trusts the Lord as his saviour. You say, how do you know that? Well, you see, Philip not only explained, must, must have only explained the gospel to him, he also must have explained baptism as well, because he says to Philip, he says, here's water, what stops me getting baptized? You see, because that's what they were preaching, wasn't it, in them days? Repent and be baptized. That's what they were preaching. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. And he says, what, what hinders me to be baptized? He says, well, if you believe, he says, there's nothing. He says, I believe. And they went down into the water together. And when they came out of the water, the Lord took Philip away. And then the Ethiopian jumped up in his chariot and he headed off to Ethiopia. And it says he went on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing. Why? He found something on the road outside of Jerusalem that he couldn't find in Jerusalem. For all his religion and all the things that are going on there, the holy city and all that, he found something more important on the roadside than he did. In Jerusalem, he found Jesus. And the last one I want to share with you. When the jailer had brought them into his house, this is the story of the Philippian jailer, Acts 16. Remember, Paul and Silas were preaching in the marketplace, and they took them into prison, and they put them in the inner prison, and they put their feet in stocks, and they were in chains. And instead of being very sad about their set of circumstances that you and I would be, and we'd be crying about it, these men were singing about it. And they were singing and singing. And it says when they were singing at midnight, a big earthquake happened. And when the earthquake happened, all the doors of the prison were thrown open. And the jailer woke up out of his sleep and he rushed in and he seen all the doors open. And he just thought, that's me, I'm finished. Because under Roman law as a jailer, he was responsible for every prisoner. And it wasn't just responsible like you're going to lose your job. It was responsible you will lose your life if you lose a prisoner. So he was going to lose his life. Because all the doors were open and... I don't know, well, apart from this story in Acts chapter 16, if the doors of a prison were all thrown open, I think all the prisoners would run out. But it was a miracle. They didn't. And he ran in, and Paul and Silas says, they we're all here, all the prisoners are here, including us. And then the man says, what must I do be saved? And they preached on to him the gospel. And what does it say? He says, proof that he received it, he took them out of the prison, he washed their wounds, he brought them to his house, he put food before them, and it says that he rejoiced and all his household. You know, dear friend, last verse, please. I want to share this one with you as we finish. Luke 15 and 10. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. I got saved when I was nearly 12 years of age. It was only later in life that I came to the understanding that on the night that I got saved, the angels in heaven celebrated 
Imagine that. And there are many here who have been saved and come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And on the day that that happened, for you, the angels in heaven celebrated. And I believe, this is my, just my personal thing, I believe there's not one day goes past on this earth that there's reason for the angels to celebrate over a soul coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, over one sinner who repents. I believe every day the angels celebrate the salvation of souls. Now the question I want to leave with you as we finish now is, have the angels celebrated yet over your salvation? Or have they still remained silent? Think about it. Think about it. God's intentions towards you, nothing but the best. He's offered the best rescue plan. He's offered the saviour. He's offered you a way out from his judgment. Not only has he offered, not only does he show you his best intentions, he shows you that he has already shown you that he cares and that he's generous and that he's kind. It's demonstrated by the death of Christ on the cross. And not only that, if you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour, there's a welcome for you into his household. There's a welcome for you into his family. There's a welcome for you into his presence. There's a welcome for you into his home. If you put your trust and faith in Jesus. Thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. Let's pray. And then our meeting is over. Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks for each and every person that has come along to our meeting this evening. And we ask our Father, as we think about these verses that we've shared together and the thoughts that we've shared, our Father, we just ask that as we leave, that we may take some of those things with us and that the Holy Spirit would do its own work from here on uh, through this evening. We know, our Father, that there's that as even though we present the gospel, we do so on the basis that we are only signposts pointing people to Christ. And, our Father, we just ask that the Holy Spirit might do its own particular work in the heart and minds of individuals here uh, from this moment on. So, our Father, we just give you thanks again for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you again that he's died on the cross for us. We thank you again that he is indeed the saviour of the world. And our Father, we thank you most important of all that he is indeed the saviour of the individual as well. So our Father, we ask that some individual here might tonight even put their trust and faith in him. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much for your time. We really do appreciate it. I will bring the box of chocolates down to the door. You can help yourself in the way out. All right.